Hi, everybody. It's John Dickerson. Welcome or welcome back to the Connection Point podcast. At the end of this episode, I'd encourage you to take a moment and check out cp.news on your web browser. Connection Point is a church that is fully online, and you can follow Jesus one day at a time from anywhere in the world with us. Well, I pray this message inspires you and challenges you today to take your next step in your faith journey. Enjoy. Yeah, praise God. He gets the glory for what he's doing. It's fun to see him working in South Carolina and in California and here in Avon and in Brownsburg. Uh, He's so faithful to work if we just show up with what we have. Well, I'm excited to hang out today. I want to start with a public service announcement. Mother's Day. Mother's Day is only three weeks away, so if you're not a mom, start thinking, start preparing. It's also not too early, I'd say, to think about Father's Day. (laughs) Uh, I typically don't have any, like, thing I really, really want for Father's Day or Christmas. I've just kind of moved past that phase of my life, but I, I stumbled across something this year. And it's out of our budget. We won't be getting it. Please don't get it for me, anyone. But you just have to see this thing. This is a miniature V8 engine that fully functions. And uh, some other car person somewhere in the world found a really creative way to use it. I was just fascinated with this. Go ahead and take a look. Yeah, I could watch that all day. I could watch that all day, and I know some of you are like, what's the big deal? I mean, it's a fully functioning engine. Did you see it had a little, it had a little radiator, a little water coolant, little spark plugs? I mean, the whole thing works. What does that have to do with our message today? I'm not yet sure, uh, but I think I'm going to figure out a way to work it in there. So, But I do want to talk about power in your life, uh, the power to experience what you most desire in life. Isn't that what we all want? In fact, Jesus often spoke in this kind of language. He said, I am the bread of life because we all want, we desire food every day. He said, I'm the living water because we all, well, we need water and we thirst for water. So Jesus often spoke in the language of our appetites and he spoke with the assumption that he's the ultimate fulfillment of our appetites. But I want to ask you today, even setting spirituality aside, just what do you desire in life right now? What do you desire? Uh, Sometimes we can be uh, kind of immature and we always just desire the next thing that we can see a few inches ahead of us. Other times we, we wisen up a bit and we zoom out and we think, well, really, where do I want to be in three years? Or what do I want my marriage to look like? Or, um, How do I want my kids to remember me? What is it that you desire right now? Maybe it's something immediate. Maybe it's something bigger. Uh, Or we could phrase the same question almost in reverse. Have you ever looked up at your life and just been like, this is not the life I want to be living? I think anyone who's found themselves in jail or someone's breaking up with them, we all have had moments where our choices landed us somewhere and we just say, this isn't the life that I want But I wonder, even setting aside God and spirituality, have you ever taken the time to really identify and even write out, here's the life that I do want? 
Here's the kind of marriage I want if you want to be married. Here's the kind of home I want. Here's the kind of relationship I want to have with my kids or my grandkids. Here's what I would like for my career. It's actually a scriptural principle that can help all people, even if you're not yet a believer, to identify what do you really desire and to write it out. There's so many principles in scripture that can help you even before you believe them. And of course, they can help you even more once you do believe that God is there and can help. And with that in mind, let's ask this question. How could you see faith toward God? That's what we're learning in this series. Belief toward God. How could you see belief toward God impact or improve the real needs or the real desires in your life? I mean, could you see faith toward God help you experience that fulfillment that you long for? I believe, according to the teachings of Jesus, that you can. In fact, if you could leave here today knowing that you have reached out to God in such a way that pretty much guarantees he will work in some way in that area of your life, would you want to leave here that way today? Well, that's what we're going to learn from the scriptures. Our teacher every weekend uh, is not me. It's always the word of God. We open up the word of God because it answers questions like this. And we're picking up in Matthew 9 where Jesus has been on a spree of miracles. He has raised a person from the dead. He has cast out demons. He's healed medical conditions. He's on this spree of miracles. And in the midst of it, Matthew 9 verse 27 says, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men, followed him, calling out, have mercy on us, son of David, which is a title for the Messiah. So these blind men, obviously they've not seen Jesus, but they've heard what everyone's talking about. And if you can imagine as this crowd of at least hundreds of people, if not more, is pressing around Jesus as he's moving from village to village at this very kind of uh, epic time in his ministry, These guys are trying to keep up with the crowd and they can't see that they have enough faith to keep pushing ahead and to keep calling out. And and they know exactly what they desire. If we think back to that opening question, what is it that you desire? Well, for these guys, their answer was, we desire to see. We want to be healed from physical blindness in our eyes. They knew exactly what they desired. They pursued Jesus They believed in him as the Messiah, which is God on earth, but Jesus does not heal them immediately. It's going to require some perseverance, some persistence, some consistency, and even some humility as these guys just keep following Jesus. He moves to another village and they stick with the pack following him. Verse 28 says, when Jesus had gone indoors... The blind men came to him. So he, Jesus goes into a house probably to get away from the crowd. And, and somehow they talk their way in there. And they keep pushing through his entourage and everyone else until they get up close to him. And then they, they, you know, they've been asking, will you have mercy on us? Will you heal us? Jesus responds, as he often does, with a question. And his question to them, and in a sense to you, where you have a desire in your life, is this. Do you believe that I am able to do this? That's what Jesus asks them. I I wonder, do you believe? We've been learning faith, it's not a feeling, it's a choice. Do you believe 
that God could meet that desire in your life? Maybe exactly the way you're asking, or maybe in some better way, do you believe that he can do it? Now, I'll ask you a couple questions here. Have you ever seen God do a miracle? We're in this series on faith, and we've talked about miracles, and there's people in this church who've seen healings where there were cancerous tumors, and then they're gone, or a marriage was broken beyond repair, and then God healed it. We, we've seen some miracles as a church, but have you ever seen one up close? And, and I, I want to follow that question with another one. Had these guys ever seen a miracle? It's a trick question. They're blind. <laughs> Not a hard answer, right? They've never seen a miracle. It's been physically impossible, and yet they're believing for a miracle. There's something there for someone, right? You can believe that God can do a miracle as a, as a choice. They've heard other people talking about it, but they've literally not been able to see it. And Jesus asks them, do you believe? Now, it's not the quality of their faith or the perfection of their faith. That's not the point of the story. The point is the object of their faith, which is Jesus. Your faith doesn't have to be perfect. doesn't have to be high-quality faith. The, the object of your faith is what will get you your results in life. If you make Jesus the object of your faith, if you say, yes, Lord, this is how they replied. And Lord has this humility in it because it's a word for God. They're not saying, yes, teacher, or yes, we hope so. Yes, you're the creator of the universe, and we believe that if you want to, you can open our blind eyes. Then Jesus touched their eyes, probably two hands, and said, According to your faith, let it be done to you. This is a phrase that Jesus used many times when people approached him asking for miracles. An older translation of it means the same thing. It's just a little different wording is this. As you believe, so it will be done. And so there's this principle here. After their sight is restored that you bring your desires to God, believing he can do what's best for you. Bring your desires to God. And I want to ask you today, when's the last time you really brought your desires to God? If you're anything like me, there's a lot of days where you've got some unmet needs and you're a little bit, you know, maybe on edge about them and you kind of try different things, sample them and you go to bed and the needs still aren't met. When's the last time that you, you, you stilled yourself from the noise? You said, what is it that I'm actually after? Do I need to be loved? Do I need to be known? Do I need security? Do I need provision? What is it that I'm actually after right now? And I'm going to bring that to God. I'm going to say, God, uh, I've got this unmet need relationally or financially or physically or spiritually or emotionally. Here's this unmet need in my life. And just like those two formerly blind men, because Jesus opened their eyes, I'm going to come to you, God, and I'm going to say, here's what I desire. And like those two formerly blind men, I'm going to believe, Jesus, that you're God. You're bigger than me. You see things I don't see. And so I bring you a faith that says, do what's best for me. I believe that if, if you will choose that kind of faith, you'll start to see God do some things in your life. And I wonder right now for that desire that you identified earlier. 
if you might just pray a simple prayer that says, God, I want to bring you this desire. Whether it's a near-term thing, financial provision, a change in your marriage, freedom from uh, an addiction, freedom from shame, or maybe it's more of a lifelong thing. God, I, I want a legacy at the end of my life that my grandkids actually liked me and speak highly of me. Whatever it is, bring it to God in that way right now because Jesus teaches a correlation between our faith and his work. Our faith and his work. There's a, it's almost like a dance. There are two living parties that are both sentient and have free will that are engaged with each other. That's you and God. You're in a dynamic relationship where your choices and his choices are constantly going back and forth. That's what correlation means. Now, we've mentioned in this series that when we talk about miracles and when we talk about faith, right now in American Christianity, if you go to an average church or, or listen to a typical Christian podcast or even on your Instagram, if you've been watching Christian stuff and so more Christian stuff keeps coming up, you're typically going to get one of two extremes. There's an extreme and an extreme. Okay, the, the one extreme is this. God does miracles, he does them all the time, and it really depends on the quality of your faith. So if you have enough faith, you're guaranteed a miracle. And if you didn't get a miracle, it's just because you don't have enough faith. But as long as you have enough faith, you can tell God what he has to do, and he has to do it. Now, there's some truth in the faith, and that God interacts, and that God wants to do miracles, but where that gets off base is who's God now? Well, you've made yourself God, right? Of like, he has to do what I say. You'll hear that teaching. You'll also hear this other extreme over here, which is like, hey, that stuff's dangerous. God is sovereign and he's good. You need to trust him. So kind of don't even bother asking for a miracle. Just sort of accept your fate, live out your miserable days on earth, and when you get to heaven, everything will be better. And I've been at this Christian thing for a while now, and you'll get a lot of this and a lot of this and, and very little of what I believe is the whole counsel of God, which is this, his nature's unchanging. He still wants to do miracles. He still does miracles. But he is bigger than us. He sees things we don't see. And if we're truly humble before him, we come to him and we say, here's the miracle I'm asking for, but I trust that you're bigger. And if you want to give me a different miracle that maybe I actually need more, I will submit to you in that. That's a mature faith. And what you'll find is if you bring God a faith like that, there are miracles pretty much in every domain of your life. There are things that God wants to do. What's a miracle by definition? Very simply, it's, it's a supernatural act that only God can do. And so sometimes that's in our own heart, that where we were selfish, we become selfless. That's a major miracle. The salvation of a loved one. Other times it is a provision where you think, how did that person know I had that need? God must have prompted them. But there's all these areas in your life where God is waiting to work if you'll bring him a submitted faith. So in this series, we've been praying this very simple prayer. It goes like this, Lord, grow my faith toward you. And we've put it on the screen because I want us to say it aloud together. I'll count to three in just a moment. But right before we do, I want to give you a chance to kind of Gather your heart, gather your mind, think about the desires you have in your life, and today we're going to apply this specifically to those desires that you have. And we're going to not just say this for other people to hear it, we're going to declare this as a prayer. And my encouragement to you in this series is to pray this not only when we gather on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, make this your prayer for the month of April. 
All right, you ready? You got your thing you want God to work in? One, two, three. Lord, grow my faith toward you. I am telling you, if you'll pray that daily with a heart that asks for bold things, but is also submitted and surrendered, you will start to see God work in your life. Here's some of what we've learned so far in this study. First, we've learned that faith is a choice, not a feeling. It's not strictly limited to the realm of religion and spirituality. Everyone has faith in something. You have faith in the IRS, that if you don't pay your taxes, they will hunt you down so you pay your taxes, because you believe that to be true. You have faith in a bank when you place your money there that they will give it back to you or else you didn't. So every atheist has faith in something. Every non-believer has faith in something. God teaches us that if we'll point our faith at him, he responds to that. As Hebrews says, he rewards that. He interacts with that. Now, the Old Testament says that the eyes of the Lord are searching the earth constantly, looking for the people who will kind of point their soul up to him and say, God, I, I believe, but help my unbelief. I want you to work in my life. Last week, we learned this. God wants to do miracles. He desires to do miracles in you, that you can look in the mirror and you can have a sense of your worth that is completely separate from uh, what any person online or any person in your class or anyone else says or what you look like physically. You just know, I am made in the image of God. I am eternally loved. I'm valuable. That's a miracle when that happens in a young person growing up in today's culture, which is so externally focused. God wants to do miracles in you when you surrender to him. He wants to do miracles for you, to set you free from sin, free from addiction, free from shame. And when he chooses, sometimes he will do a physical healing miracle. He gets to choose that, not us. But we can ask for those, and we see him do those when he chooses. And then as you grow in maturity, having seen God work in you and for you, you'll start to catch the heart of Jesus who went around doing miracles for others. Think about it. Jesus had the power he could have done a whole lot of miracles for himself, but he lived a very humble life and he used his power to do miracles for others. And it's part of your spiritual maturity that as you follow Jesus, you'll say, God, I want you to do miracles through me. Reach people in South Carolina and California that I might never get to meet in person. Do things through me that bring about your greater story. So today we're really focusing in on this living relationship this dynamic, constantly adjusting relationship between you and the creator of the universe. And that chosen belief is the primary language of that relationship. Choosing to believe that God's there, choosing to call out to him. Surrender activates the miracles that God is waiting to do in your life. Surrender activates the miracles that God is waiting to do in your life. And this is what grieves me about the, the two extremes of teaching on faith and miracles is that the one group, they're asking for what they want, but they're closed off to what God might want to do. And then the other group isn't even asking God to do big things. There is, I, imagine this, I want you to imagine a whole bunch of balloons that are inflated, like helium or air or something, right? And they're just all around you. You're in this like, you're encapsulated by these balloons. And every single one of them holds a blessing of some kind, a blessing for your marriage if you would poke it and pop it and outflows a blessing for your marriage. 
a blessing for your sexual fulfillment and contentment and lifelong satisfaction in that domain of your life, a blessing for your finances, a blessing for your purpose, for your fulfillment. And and whether we see it or not, we are surrounded by all these things that God desires to do in our lives. And faith, not a perfect faith, but just a surrendered faith is like your little needle that starts popping these balloons of blessing that God, he just wants to kind of anoint you, if you will. He wants to just pour these blessings out and he's waiting for you to respond to him. Week one of this series, we talked about ugly faith, which has been my faith from uh, pre-believing in Jesus to saying, if you're there, I kind of, I want to know you to even where I am today, my faith has always been an ugly faith. And yet I've seen God change me, change my life, pour out blessings, not because of the quality of my faith, but the object of my faith, which is Jesus. You know, when I think of ugly faith uh, and ugly things, I think of myself when it comes to dancing. I'm like the world's ugliest dancer. If you ever saw the old TV show, Fresh Prince of Bel-Air, there's this guy, Carlton. He's got the Carlton dance. That's about my level of dancing. But my wife Mel's a really good dancer and she loves to dance and so I try, but I'm just like the most locked up, boring, non-dancer guy. And yet Mel is gracious enough that even though it takes two to tango, it takes two to, to really dance, takes two people interacting, she puts up with my ugly dancing because she loves me. And she's a good enough dancer that it makes up for it and people watch her anyway. So, But it is kind of that way. Your relationship with God is a bit of a dance. There are two parties and it's almost like when you gather here and you hear from the word of God, uh, it's almost like God's saying, dance with me. I know it's an analogy, it probably works better for some than others, okay? But then you respond. And based on how you respond, these interactions continue. Uh, And and for you, perhaps it starts like every weekend. That's why we encourage you, if God's working in your life, be consistent here. Because that's just another interaction with God back and forth. And then hopefully it turns into Monday through Saturday as well. And you're interacting with God. Matthew 9, in the middle of all these miracles, we noticed last week that perhaps the biggest miracle, according to the author of the book, Matthew, was his own moment where he believed in Jesus. It's recorded this way in Matthew 9. As Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew, writer of this book of the Bible, sitting at his tax collector's booth. And we noticed at the end of our message last week that this might seem like the least dramatic of the miracles. But Matthew, as the author, positions it between raising the dead and casting out demons. And his point is this. He says, if you knew what was in my heart... The fact that Jesus changed my heart is as big of a miracle as a dead person standing up, a corpse standing up out of a coffin and being raised to life. That's how big of a miracle God did in me. And that's what happens every time today here and around the world when people believe in Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. That's why next week when we have baptisms, if you haven't been baptized, you can sign up today and be baptized next week. Um, It's a picture of being buried, dead to your old way of life, raised through the resurrection power of Jesus into your new way of life. We notice that the other gospel writers 
didn't call Matthew a man. They called him a publican, which was a title, and it was a negative title. It was a title for a tax collector who used their authority to cheat people financially. And so this was, to use some modern American language, Matthew's identity. It was an identity he had chosen for himself. There were a whole bunch of other publicans and they all hung out together. And even though they were hated by other people, they liked each other and they felt good with each other. Publican was Matthew's identity. He had chosen it and it was how other people saw him. He's the publican guy. He's the cheater, tax collector, white collar criminal who gets away with it because of his government authority. And what's so beautiful about this miracle is that those publicans, they were considered by the righteous people, by the religious people, as the worst of sinners. And Jesus demonstrates time and again that the heart of God walking around in a human body on earth, that's Jesus, is that he loves all people of all kinds, including the most sinful, people of every identity he loves And he gives everyone this invitation. Look what he says to Matthew. Follow me and be my disciple. What does that mean? Does that mean Matthew's gonna just continue in his existing way of life and just say for the rest of his life, well, I get to do whatever I want because Jesus said he loves me? That's not what happens here. Jesus is saying, quit your career, give up your old identity. I'm I'm inviting you to dance, for lack of a better term, I'm inviting you to see me do miracles in your life, but it's going to require, Matthew, surrender. You're going to have to surrender not only the one issue where you want to see me work, probably a lot of guilt and shame and rejection, but Matthew, if you really want to see me do miracles in your life, you're going to have to surrender your very identity. You're going to have to surrender all of you. And the reason God worked in Matthew's life isn't because Matthew was so sinful. Sometimes people focus on, well, Jesus ate with the sinners. He sure did. But he didn't eat with them to say, keep sinning. He ate with them to say, follow me. I've got a better way of life for you. A way that at first you might not think is fulfilling, but in the end, you will realize, you'll look back after a few years of following me, and you'll say, wow, my life is so much more free and full I didn't even realize how small of a life I was living, a slave to my own appetites. But as I've followed Jesus, it has opened up my life to a whole expanse of freedom. Jesus says, follow me, be my disciple, take on my way of life. And the reason these miracles happen in Matthew's life is because of his response. He got up and followed him. If Matthew hadn't got up and followed Jesus, the transformation wouldn't have happened. Correlation between our faith in action and God's work. Matthew steps out in faith. God transforms his life. The faith that brings change in your circumstances, in yourself, is the faith that moves in action. It's the faith that obeys Jesus because you choose to trust Jesus and to trust what he says. Well, earlier I was joking about this little handheld V8 engine. I think it's the coolest thing. Obviously in your car, under the hood, unless you drove in an electric car, you've got something similar to this. Electric cars have a whole other, um, anyhow, I'm not going to get into engines today, okay? (laughs) Well, actually I am, but I only have time to get into internal combustion engines, okay? Both are great, all right, both are great. Both are awesome. They move. So here's the point. An engine 
that's in your car has thousands of components. It, it, every piece is, you know, master engineered, incredible precision. But did you know there's just one part in your engine that if it's removed, the whole thing won't work, and that is the spark plug. So if you've never handled one, a spark plug, here's a picture of one. It's about the size of your pointer finger, most likely. And uh, here's the function of the spark plug, okay? Uh, and by the way, I'm going to give you some life-saving advice. Just in case you ever get stuck in the woods and you have to make a fire, what do you need? Well, you need fuel, which could be wood and kindling. You need oxygen, which is why when you're starting with the spark, you, you're going to blow on it. And then you need a spark. That's exactly what happens in your engine. Here's a, a diagram of it. Believe me, this is going somewhere, okay? <laughs> You've heard of pistons or cylinders. Each one's like a chamber like this where a little explosion happens. So at the top on the left, you've got an opening and closing valve. It opens up super fast, shoots in the fuel and air in a little vaporized mixture that is ready to combust or explode. Then the valves both close and the spark plug sparks and boom, an explosion happens. That drives the piston down, and because it's connected to a bunch of other gears, it turns the wheels of your car. Now, here's my point. Surrender is the spark plug. Surrender ignites the miracles that God is waiting to do in your life. So faith is choosing to believe. You want to ignite miracles in your life? Choose to believe in a way that surrenders well, God, that's not the way I would do it. It's not what I feel like doing. It means I have to die to myself. I'm going to step out and choose to believe you anyway. Surrendered faith, faith that exhibits itself in surrender, is the spark plug that ignites the miracles that God's already waiting to do. If you only knew, if you only knew the things God wants to do for you and in you and through you, He's just waiting for that surrendered faith. So in mechanical terms, air plus fuel plus spark equals power. Raw power. It's a great thing. Now here it is in spiritual terms. Air or oxygen is really like God's nature. It's unchanging. You've probably noticed you never have to fill your car engine up with air. It just breathes it through the air filter and the intake. It's breathing air from the environment. There's plenty of oxygen on planet Earth. It's the same God's nature. The same God who did these miracles of opening the eyes of the blind, his nature's unchanging. And he's eager to work. And he's got this big story from Adam and Eve all the way to the future when Jesus returns and everyone worships him where he is redeeming what's been broken. He's fixing what's been broken. And that's just out there. That ingredient is already in your life. The second ingredient, fuel, spiritually, is like the promises of God. We're going to look in just a moment at an Old Testament story of a guy who God gave him a promise and he claimed that promise. God said to these blind men, do you believe? And he said, then Jesus said, yes, I'll do it. And they're healed. God has promises for you. How do you know what they are? You find them in the Bible. That's why these life application study Bibles, they cost about $35 each. We give them out like candy because we want you to freely know the promises of God. He's got a promise for your future. He's got a promise for your family. He's got a promise for your freedom from sin. 
He's got promises for your marriage. He's got promises for your finances, for your inner peace, for your identity. And that's like the fuel. Just like different engines you put in gasoline or you put in diesel, put in that fuel of saying, I'm going to find the promises of God that relate to the desires I have in my life. And then once you've got the presence of God and the promises of God, all you've got to bring is the tiniest spark of faith. The tiniest spark of God, I just, I choose to believe what you say. So I'm going to live my life the way that you say in this area. And then boom, combustion happens. Spiritual power is generated. I'm almost done with my engine stuff, but I have to show you guys this little moving gif uh, because I, I want you to really get this, okay? If nothing else, you learned how an internal combustion engine works today. So <laughs> way to go for coming to church. So here's a four-cylinder. And you see the blue. The blue is when the fuel shoots in, which is a mixture of air and gas. And then the orange is when the explosion happens. And then the gray is the exhaust, the smoke that'll come out of your tailpipe. And that's why those two valves are taking turns. One's letting the fuel in, one's letting the uh, explosive exhaust back out. Here's, here's the point. The fuel and the air are freely available. God's already engineered everything necessary for the miracles to happen in your life. But if you don't have a spark, this whole engine, it, it wouldn't work without a spark. And here's what I've learned. Uh, actually, in the mechanical realm, I, I've got some old Toyota trucks. I drove here in one that has 308,000 miles on it. And I'll be honest, I have not changed the spark plugs on that truck. And that's probably bad, but it still works. <laughs> it still works. Here's why. Because engineers have gotten so good. By the time that fuel and air gets in that little chamber, it is so ready to ignite. It does not take much of a spark. You can have a pretty old, pretty worn out spark plug and it'll still boom. The engine will still run. And that's, your faith can be pretty worn out, can be pretty insufficient. God, he's bringing all the ingredients. Just bring a little bit of faith. Here's the other reason I love this analogy. If you've heard the phrase, now we're running on all cylinders, this is the idea. An engine can be running where just one or two cylinders are actually exploding and the others are just along for the ride. And when you first come to Jesus, you surrender one area of your life to him, and it's like one cylinder. But if you really want to see God do dramatic things in your life, surrender the next area and the next. So give him your identity. Give him your finances. Give him your sexuality. Give him your desires. Give him your anxiety. Give him your dreams. And as you start to bring a little spark of faith to all those different areas your RPMs start to go up spiritually and you just start to see things move. And I am telling you, if you will do this, no matter where you come from, no matter how broken your past is, after a couple years of saying, Jesus first, I'm gonna do it Jesus way, you're gonna stumble, you're gonna make a lot of mistakes, it's normal, it's fine, but you'll look back and you'll say, wow, I cannot believe how God has changed me. And at the end of your life, you'll look back and you'll say, that was a rich life. Not because of my net worth or my bank account, but my fulfillment, my purpose, my relationship to the creator, my re relationships with people. Like that life never could have happened with my family of origin or my personality. It only happened because I kept surrendering another area of life to God.
you could put it this way, the intensity and duration of your faith will determine the significance of the miracles you will experience. Duration meaning, you know, if you start your engine and it runs for 30 seconds, you can drive for 30 seconds. But if you start your engine and you want to drive to Florida, those spark plugs better keep, keep sparking that whole way. If you'll keep bringing the spark of faith, and if you'll say, God, make my spark as big as it can be, <laughs> big enough to unleash the miracles you want to do, you will increase the significance of the things that you'll see God do in you and through you. One last Bible story we'll go through real quick. Quick, This guy named Abraham, um, also called Abram. These guys would change their names. It's a whole thing. You can read about that in your study Bible. But here's a little bit. I want to show you his story because it shows you here's what it looks like to keep giving God the next area of your life. So Hebrews 11 tells us this. By faith, Abraham obeyed and went. So God says, Abraham, I want you to leave your family, not, not his wife, but like leave your parents, leave your home, leave the country you grew up in, follow me, and I'm going to give you this massive inheritance that you can't even imagine. Hebrews tells us that Abraham obeyed even though he did not know where he was going. But look at this little yellow arrow. By following God, where he didn't understand it, where did it take him to? His inheritance, which was like a whole nation geographically and then through his offspring, an entire nation. In other words, it was for Abraham's best, but it required him letting go of what he wanted. It required him leaving what he knew. And the principle from Abraham we're just building here in this message is that the miracles that God most wants for you and he does want to do things for you that you can't even ask or imagine. The miracles that God most wants for you are for your highest good, not just your immediate gratification. He will gratify you, okay? But for your highest good and for his higher story that at the end of your life and in the next life, when you look back, you say, wow, I got to be part of what matters in the universe. Here's how Abraham's story goes. The Lord said to Abram, same guy, Go, leave your country, leave your people, leave your father's household, go to the land I will show you. So for Abraham, it's like, okay, God, where do I go? And God's essentially like, well, point, your, point yourself in this direction. I'll let you know when you get there. Here's my plan for you, Abraham. It's way bigger than where you came from. There's a word for someone in that, okay? My plan for you is way bigger than where you came from. You've been limiting your dreams and your desires to what you've seen from where you grew up, but my plan for you might be way bigger than that. For Abram, Abraham, verse 2 of Genesis 12, God says, I will make you. You trying to make yourself? God says, I will make you. I'll make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. God wants to bless you so that you can bless others. Verse three, this is God's promise to Abraham. I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And Abraham, if you will follow me in this adventure of faith, all people on earth will be blessed through you. Now, the point of this story is verse four. So Abram went. Now, if you read the whole story, uh, it wasn't always pretty. It was oftentimes ugly. He had moments of doubt, moments of discouragement, but ultimately he moved his feet. 
and he provided the little spark. His spark plus the fuel of God's promise plus the oxygen of God's nature and what God wanted to do in the world, boom. Millions of people will ultimately be Abram's offspring over the years, but entire nation that exists, entire people groups that exist, and of course, a guy named Jesus who would be one of Abraham's descendants. And now here we are thousands of years later in our calendar, our geography of nations, a lot of it goes back to this guy who was willing to leave the comfort of what he knew. Here's four steps. I'm not going to unpack them, but if you take pictures with your phone, you might want to take a picture, or if you're a scribbler, write real fast. We've seen these, and I just want to give them to you. They're chronological. There's a sequence here. Declare what you want God to do for you. Many, many people never do step one. God, here's the kind of marriage I want. Here's the kind of retirement I want. Here's the way I want to influence other people. Here's what I'd like for my grandkids. Here, you know what one of my prayers for number one is? God, I pray for each of my three kids that you'd capture their hearts, that you'd protect them from evil, that they'd find their identity in you. I pray that you'd surround them with godly friends. I pray that you'd lead each of them to choose a godly spouse who will help them to live for you. And I pray that ultimately they'll live for you all their days and that their zeal for you and what they do in your work will be uh, bigger than what I'm doing for you. So that, that's just one area of my life. I, I could go on. I've got, I've got dozens, okay? So declare, God, here's what I want you to do. This is exactly what it looks like, what I want you to do in the hearts of my kids or in my career or in my finances. I mean, be real. Second, go with God, even when it doesn't make sense. For Abraham, God spoke in dreams and visions because Abraham did not have the Bible. God may speak to you in a dream or a vision, but most days he's going to speak to you through the Bible. Abraham's in Genesis, the first book, so the rest of it didn't exist yet. God will speak to you, do what God says. When he says, do this with your money or with your time or with your desires, do what he says because you believe him. And that's the third one, bank on his faithfulness. I know that if I do what God says, he's going to respond. It might not be immediate, but it will be permanent and it will be for my best interest and for his great story. And then fourth, make choices. So faith is not this like ethereal, unseen thing. It, it might start there. But what you believe shows up in your choices. If you believe that money is ultimately what will make you happy, your life choices will demonstrate that. If you believe that God is the one who can fulfill you, your life choices will demonstrate that. Make choices that will show a lifelong record. None of our lives are that long. Our, our, you know, soon there will be a, a, a funeral or a memorial service for each of us, and people will say, this is what she was like, or this is what he was like. Make choices that demonstrate a lifelong record, irrefutable, because of your actions and the way you spent your time, that people say, he or she, man, they really believe the promises of God. In fact, think of it this way. If someone were to do an audit of your life, an audit... We do two of them a year as a church where outside accounting groups come in and they look at every financial transaction to say, is everything on the up and up? We have two different groups that are separate, they're independent, that, that will say if anything's out of line. We do that every year. What if someone did an audit of your life, the way you spend your time, the way you spend your money, would you be found guilty of having any faith that this God 
is a part of your life. In other words, would a non-believer say, why is she spending so much time doing that? Why is he investing money in that? If there's not a God, this makes no sense. Abraham's life would have looked really ridiculous if there wasn't a God, but there is a God. Verse uh, Genesis 15, as Abraham follows God, there are moments where it looks impossible. There's a moment where uh, a whole group of kings, a consortium of kings with armies are gathering, and he's pretty sure they're all going to attack him. And it's in that moment, Genesis 15, that the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision and said this, do not be afraid, Abram. This is a word. When you step out in faith, do not be afraid. I am your shield, God says. You're afraid of these other nations that they're going to come against you. I will protect you. I am your very great reward. Abraham, I've promised you an abundant promised land, physical fields and harvests. I've promised you offspring, which is the greatest desire of your heart. I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to fulfill your desires. But Abraham, as you walk with me in faith, the day will come in your maturity where you will realize that just being in relationship with me as God, as your best friend, as your father, is your greatest reward, worth more than any real estate, more than any dream come true. And God has us on the same trajectory. If we'll keep walking by faith, he will do great things in you and for you. And then he'll start to do things through you. And then you'll keep maturing on your way to meeting him physically. And you'll get to a place in your walk where you'll say, God is my greatest reward. He, the treasure is knowing him. It's not getting my way. Hebrews 11, by faith, even Sarah, that's Abram's wife, who was past childbearing age, so she'd gone through menopause, she wasn't supposed to have kids, was enabled by God to bear children. Why? Because she considered him faithful. She kept banking on the promises of God. And God had made them that promise. So they claimed God gave us a promise. That was a promise specific to them, that he would give them a child in their old age, and they just kept holding on to it. I want to just wrap up by telling you a true story of a miracle that God did for a family here in our movement. This started 14 years ago. Here's a note card from this mom in our church, Gia. It's a Bible verse. If you remain in me, ask whatever you wish when my words remain in you. We preached that verse back in January, and Gia wrote me this letter. She said, it was this exact week 14 years ago that I was placed in the hospital in San Diego almost 30 weeks pregnant with our daughter, and we were told she had zero chance of survival. Through routine ultrasound to check something minor, several complications were found, including she had no kidneys, amniotic fluid was gone, which meant that her lungs wouldn't develop, and ultimately the doctor said she's incompatible with life. I was given a lot of options, and I chose to just stay in the hospital and wait it out. She says, I was there for almost two months away from my young son and my husband with daily bad news. It was absolutely the most traumatic and hardest season we've ever been through. But what did happen during this time is we experienced an undeniable supernatural peace and a joy like never before. Because we dug into God's promises and prayer. 
It was the first time in my life I had nothing else to do or focus on. And while I admit I had a pity party and I was angry at God some days, once I surrendered and asked him to intervene, miracle after miracle started to happen. Fast forward, she says, Isabella Evelyn Cruz arrived on March 18th, 2009 at 9.15 p.m. crying and breathing, which the doctors said wouldn't happen, but still very ill. She had to be intubated right after birth. She was born sick. God healed her in so many ways after her birth that were unexplainable to the doctors, which they openly admitted. At 32 days old, we were able to take her home. We eventually moved to Indiana, where we transferred her care to Riley. Um, This mom, as Isabella grew, was able to give her her own kidney in a kidney transplant. Here's Isabella today. She's a student, middle school student here in Brownsburg. Yeah, praise God. He, he does things like this. The way this uh, letter timed out, she said, almost exactly 14 years since the day we were told our daughter had zero chance of living, she is getting baptized. How amazing is God? So uh, here's Isabella giving her life to Christ. Now, I read that story trying to strike the middle here of these two extremes. Because there's some of you in here, you've prayed for a loved one and God didn't do the miracle. Uh, That's happened to me and Melanie. We have two kids waiting for us in heaven. One an ectopic pregnancy and one a miscarriage. So it's not that we get to tell God what to do, but we bring him a sincere faith and we trust him and we believe that as the creator of the universe, he knows what's best and we ask for miracles. And then we surrender when the miracle is in us rather than for us. Last story, true story from the 1930s of a guy whose truck had broken down on the side of the road. It probably looked a lot like this. And a limousine pulls up. And out of the back of the limousine, a guy gets out in like a full business suit. Guy walks up to the truck owner and says, hey, I think I can probably fix your truck. The truck owner says, okay, a little, little weird, but go for it. So the businessman takes off his suit, rolls up his sleeves, opens the hood, he's under there fiddling around. After a little bit, sure enough, the engine roars to life truck owner says, uh, I got to ask you, you know, what's your name? Thank you for helping me. He said, oh, my name's Henry Ford. He said, I'm the creator of your truck. And anytime I see one that's not operating properly, I, I can't help but want to fix it because it's designed to operate. You realize that you have a creator who designed you not just to exist, not just to get a paycheck, not just to survive and make it through. He created you to thrive and he has things for you to do in this world that will fulfill you beyond what you can imagine. But you do have to open the hood of your life. You do have to say, I surrender. I'm gonna grow my belief from just believing you exist and just praying that you'll work to saying, Okay, if you say this, I'll do it. I'll surrender an area of my life to you. I'll, like Matthew, give you my identity in the whole thing.
right now, I wonder if you'd close your eyes. I just wanna lead you in a simple prayer of that surrender. Identify that desire. What is your deepest desire right now? If God would do one thing for you, what is it? And if you just pray after me, God, I believe you're good. God, I give you this desire in my life. Jesus, I trust your ways. Lord, I pray for a miracle. And I trust you for the miracle I most need. God, would you work in me? Would you work for me? Would you work through me to lead me to your greatest life for me? We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hey, as you go ahead and stand, we're gonna do something a little different today. I'm about to dismiss you actually. If you're hungry and ready to go to lunch, you can zip right out in just a moment. But our worship team is, is gonna sing a song of surrender and I just wanted it to be something that those who wanna kind of mingle and worship, um, let others go and you can even kind of mingle around the room. And we've got our prayer partners up here because in this series specifically, there is something about when you gather with another believer and we've got people of great faith who want to pray with you. So if you've got something in your life, just tell them briefly what it is. Like pray for my marriage or pray for my lust or pray that I'd be set free from shame or pray for my job. Just tell them briefly what it is and they'll pray for you. Uh, and what we'll do is just, you know, some people will leave. Some people will come up front. Some people might kind of make way for others to move and then stay and uh, walk around and worship because this is just a song about how God wants to work in our lives. So um, with that, I'm going to technically dismiss you. If you're a guest, we've got a gift for you at Connection Corner. And um, I'll see you guys next week as God keeps growing our faith. Well, if today's episode encouraged you or helped you in any way, we would invite you to keep following Jesus with us. We send out a daily video text devotional. You can receive that and you can learn how to gather with us online or in person for our weekend services. All of that is available over at cp.news. That's the letter C, the letter P.news on your phone or desktop or tablet browser. Thanks again for joining us and please join me again next week for the Connection Point Podcast.